Okay, Avenging Condor, I'm en route to Valley Video. Operation Staken is officially underway. Dicky, we agreed that this initial operation would be called Stakeout. Once we've gathered intel, we'll initiate Operation Stake In. That's when we eliminate the target. Roger that. I forgot. Although I can't promise I won't stake the bloodsucker the second I lay eyes on him. 10-4, but I thought you were still on the fence about this video clerk being an Egyptian daywalker. Isn't that why we've been bothering with Operation Stakeout? So you can be 100% sure? You're right. I'm just eager for some action is all. I hear you, Dickie. And you know I'd be there alongside you if I wasn't stuck at the auto shop with my brother waiting for the Camaro to be fixed. I'm passing the abandoned Warwick house now. I can't believe the city still hasn't torn it down after the old man killed his whole family back in the 70s. I heard that after he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, he was committed to the same mental institution in Sacramento that Chip stayed at after our run-in with the Proxima Centaurian. Yeah, maybe someday he'll become Tracy's new boyfriend and the vampire vixen will relinquish her hold over Chip. Tracy was never my girlfriend. Be that as it may, Chip, you've demonstrated a strong susceptibility to seduction. I, on the other hand, have spent countless hours building up my mental defenses against both vampiric and feminine beguilement. My mind is as impenetrable as Fort Knox. I still don't even think she's a vampire. That is precisely why I've taken you off field duty, even though your ninja training would be useful. Your skepticism is a weakness we can't afford. Now, I must insist on radio silence from you, Chip, for the duration of this critical operation. Whatever. I'm pulling up to the parking lot. Hmm. I don't see a Buick Grand National with a dented front bumper anywhere. Isn't that what he drives? He's supposed to be working today. He might have flown in as a bat to save on gas. It's $1.15 a gallon right now. I see him through the window. He's on the job, all right. I'm going in. Gonna pretend I'm just browsing, but really I'll be observing him, waiting for him to slip up. I wonder if they have 16 candles. I mean, weird science. Did you know that Anthony Michael Hall's real name is actually Michael Anthony Hall? Stay focused, Dickie. Okay, I'm gonna check out the candy selection first. See if they have any jujubes or Swedish fish. Get some goobers. Strict radio silence, Chip. I'm slowly bringing out the hand mirror from my backpack. Oh no, he looked right at me. Aborting. Overruled. Stay the course, Dickie. Hey, kid. Ah, who, M me? That's right. You've got big trouble, mister. I'm gonna make you pay. Do you copy? What's happening?
Did you hear me, kid? You've still got big trouble in Little China, and I'm going to make you pay a late fee. As I glared into the mesmerizing blue eyes of the Valley Video employee, my hand inching closer to the wooden stake in my pocket, it finally dawned on me what he meant. Oh, uh, sure, you'll get it back, but I ain't going to rewind it. That'll be an extra fee. Really? You bet. And now you're breaking stuff and making a mess? I thought I told you and your little friends that you weren't welcome in here after you accused me of being a vampire and then snuck onto the computer. Um, are you sure that was us? That doesn't sound like me and my friends. Dickie, have you gotten positive confirmation that the clerk is a vampire? That's it. Get out of my store. The clerk ushered me out the front door and into the late afternoon sun. You can leave your movie in the return slot, but don't even think about stepping foot inside Valley Video ever again. You're banned. Sheesh. Dickie, do you copy? Awaiting confirmation. It's a no-go, AC. I got kicked out of the store. Confirmation not established. I repeat, confirmation not established. Blast! Oh well, maybe he's not a vampire anyway. You were standing right there when he said he was from Pitchwood. That town is crawling with bloodsuckers. And I suppose it's just a coincidence that his computer password was vampire with a Y? Trust me, Dickie, he is undead. Well, I guess I'll keep watching him from outside. Copy that. I observed the clerk as he began sweeping up the shattered shards of my mom's favorite hand mirror. Alas, it was frustratingly too far away to tell if he had a reflection. A few minutes later, the clerk started restocking the shelves, stopping intermittently to ring up a customer. Even though it was Friday, the little mom-and-pop video store was less patronized than the bigger chain stores of its kind. A half an hour passed, and I started to get restless. Dickie, you're not going to believe what car. I'm standing next to, here, in the shop. A black Buick Grand National, complete with dented front bumper. Are you serious? That's a one in a million chance. I know. There's a very pale looking guy with long dark hair talking on the phone right now. I don't recognize him. Looks like we're dealing with yet another daywalker. <sighs> another day, another daywalker. I never noticed it before but there appears to be some strands of hair stuck to the grill of the car. You remember that police report about a hit and run in Pitchwood? Could have hit a deer or something. I'm going to collect a sample. Out of the corner of my eye, I suddenly noticed a man leaning against the side of the building, loitering in the shade. He had unkempt black hair and was wearing soiled baggy clothes. Somebody say something about a daywalker? Uh, no. Jaywalker. No, is that what I heard? Yes, sir. Just discussing unlawful street crossings with my friend. Who are you? Me? Nobody. Just a stray. Killing time. Say, you got any alms for the poor? I glanced at the clerk through the window and saw that he was now talking on the phone. Alms? No, just a bunch of cash. Uh, oh. Well, if you're about to ask me to rent a dirty movie for you, I won't do it. No matter how much you offer me. No, I... Dicky, listen carefully. The car is... What was that? Sorry, I was just saying that I wasn't going to ask you to rent me a dirty movie. You wouldn't believe how many underage kids ask me that. You must hang around Valley Video a lot then, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's kind of my hunting grounds. The man tilted his head back and squinted at the horizon, sniffing the air. Sun's going down soon. <laughs> Gotta rain later. I followed his gaze upward, taking a moment to study the cloudless blue sky. When I looked down again, the man was gone. 
I didn't bother searching to see where he'd wandered off to. Resting on my bike, I turned my attention back to the clerk, watching until the dying sun sank behind Moonstone Hills and the sky gushed blood red. Then I began to hear a noise. A roar was growing in the distance. In a matter of seconds, it hit fever pitch, and I saw the Grand National come flying down the street like a bat out of hell. It squealed into the parking lot, then fishtailed to a stop, now rumbling idle in a fog of hot, acrid fumes. The bumper was still smashed, I noticed. When my hand shot up to my mouth to radio plunger, I realized that I'd stupidly forgot to turn it back on after talking to the Valley Video Vagrant. Please respond. I repeat, the bat has left the belfry. Before I could respond, the clerk came strutting out of the store, gave a little wave, and hopped into the passenger seat of the Buick. The tinted driver's side window then slowly lowered, revealing Plunger's Egyptian daywalker behind the wheel. He's here. My friend says you've been harassing him and spreading malicious lies that he's a vampire. We won't stand for that kind of slander, will we, Cam? Heck no. It ends now. Listen, Dickie, you're outnumbered. I suggest you ride! Ride like the wind! Better listen to your buddy. I'll give you a head start. I rode. The driver did give me a head start, but not by much. Soon the Grand National was barreling behind me on Scrug Street. The clerk, Cam as the driver called him, was hanging out the window and laughing, his feathered blonde hair flopping in the wind. Get him, Dirge! Despite pedaling at speeds that would have left Greg Lamont choking on my dust, my overworked huffy couldn't keep up, and the car's bumper nudged my back tire. The bike lurched, and I only barely held the handlebar steady. I had to get off the road. Hopping the curb on my right, I took my bike onto the sidewalk, but now the Grand National pulled up alongside me. Cam shot me a toothy grin, just as the one called Dirge suddenly tugged on the steering wheel and tried to sideswipe me. The right tires bounced on the sidewalk, causing a spray of sparks as the undercarriage scraped against the curb. I swerved away, but quickly had to swerve back to my left to avoid smacking full tilt into a mailbox. When I did, my handlebar struck the side view mirror, and the whole thing cracked and hung limp against the door. Another wasted opportunity to check for a reflection. You're gonna pay for that! The car pulled back onto the street, and I thought for a minute they'd given up, but then it came veering to the right again. This time, I happened to be lucky enough to steer into a vacant lot. My pace slowed considerably as I pedaled through the field of overgrown grass, but once again, just as I started to think that I was safe, the car followed me off-road. It charged right for me, but I jerked left, and it spun out. Flinging dirt clods in the air, the car struggled to gain traction, before once again gunning it in my direction. I would have been off roadkill if I hadn't come up to a house with an unfenced backyard. It had a big trampoline sitting in the center of the lawn, and as I whizzed past it, the Grand National slid to a stop. Reversing, it tore off onto the street again. Between that house and the next, I saw the car paralleling me. Dodging a rusted metal jungle gym, I came to another gap and then pumped the brakes. A six-foot-tall privacy fence blocked the way. I was forced to ride around to the front of the house, and the vampires were waiting to give chase. This time I rode through the front yard, 
shielded from the street by oak trees, but an intersection was coming up fast. They were going to turn and cut me off, I realized. I'd run right into them. Where was a telekinetic extraterrestrial in your bike basket when you needed one? Fortunately, before that happened, the stoplight turned red and the Buick got stuck behind traffic. It would buy me some precious time. I crossed over Culver Road and then hit the sidewalk again on Scrugg Street for maximum speed. If I could just get enough distance between us, I could find somewhere to hide. Then I saw the abandoned Warwick house. It was a ridiculous idea. I'd have to be insane to venture into that nest of nightmares. But there it sat, a lonely, rotting two-story Tudor-style home with randomly shattered windows and a flaky, sickly gray exterior, offering me sanctuary from my pursuers. The stoplight would turn any second, so it was probably this or nothing. I ditched my bike in the jungle of weeds that made up the front lawn and ran up to the foreboding entrance. The doorknob turned, but the door wouldn't budge, most likely stuck from the warped wood. It was almost dark out now, and a full moon had snuck up like the cold corpse of the sun, casting the evening in lace-white luminescence. I was out of time. The stoplight turned green, and the cars ahead of the vampires began moving. The Grand National was coming. The bay windows on the house were lined with jagged splinters of glass like translucent teeth, and I knew I wasn't getting in that way. Frantically, I threw my weight at the door. It gave an inch. I shouldered it again, and it gave another couple of inches, grinding against the floor. Now the vampires pulled into the driveway of the Warwick house. I pushed on the door with both hands like my life depended on it, but I could only move it a sliver more. It was just wide enough to start sliding my skinny body crabwise through the gap. The car's ignition switched off. With my backpack scraping against the doorframe, my overly large head, with its accompanying overly large brain, would only fit if I rinsed it sideways, facing outside. The vampire stepped out of the car. As I squeezed desperately, my glasses got pinched and pushed off onto the porch, but I dared not spare a single second retrieving him. Finally, I popped my melon through, and I was in. The door was easy to shove closed from the other direction, and I quickly locked the deadbolt. Now, where to hide? The interior of the house was saturated with an aggressive, suffocating darkness infused with the funk of mold and decay. Thankfully, I always come prepared. My mom had confiscated her laser pointer, but I still had my old toy laser gun with its built-in flashlight in my backpack. But when I turned it on, I realized that light would only help me so much without my glasses. I estimated I had mere minutes before the bloodthirsty vampires broke down the door and sucked me dry but all I could see past the foyer was lumpy bedsheet-covered furniture in the flashlight's blurry beam. When I shone it to my immediate left, I glimpsed a coat rack trying its hardest to appear as a tall, tentacled monster. I didn't fall for it. Hurrying while trying to be cautious, I made my way to the far end of the living room and found a steep, winding staircase leading to the second floor. Creaking up the steps, I came to a long hallway flanked with closed doors. I threw open one of them, running into a small, mostly barren bedroom with a window, and slammed it shut behind me. The flashlight illuminated a set of slatted bifold doors along one wall, and I wasted no time stuffing myself into the closet. A smattering of moth-eaten child dresses hung from a clothing rack, and a button-eyed girl's doll stared at me from the corner. I switched my laser gun off and sat in the heavy blackness, catching my breath. I could barely hear Plunger's tinny voice transmitting over the pounding of my heart. Dicky, if you're not a vampire, say, I love garlic. I love garlic. 
Oh, thank God. Vampires can't say that? They can, but they won't. It's undignified. Dickie, where are you? Shh. I'm hiding in a closet at the old Warwick house. It was my only option. What about the vampire? They were both right on my tail, but I haven't heard them come inside yet. You know I'd be there to help, Dickie, but I'm on my way to Neon Knights to Rhodey for my brother's band. Derek and the Dingleberries are opening for Dirty Rocket. Alright, I'm gonna go look out the window and see if they're still outside. Stand by. Holding my laser gun with one hand and my wooden stake in the other, I tiptoed out of the closet into the second story window. Setting the flashlight on the windowsill, I opened the blinds and let the moonlight flood the room. When I flipped the light off to see down onto the dim front porch, I spotted the vampire standing there, out of focus, cranking their heads up at the unbroken window. Cam raised his arm and pointed right at me. There he is! You can't stay in there forever, little boy! I jumped back out of sight and rushed into the closet again. They're still here, but they're not entering the house for some reason. It's because vampires need to be invited. But nobody lives here. You're hiding in a haunted house, Dickie. Ghosts live there. Ghosts, of course. But is it accurate to say they live here when they're not actually living? Spare me the supernatural semantics, Dickie. This is the proof you wanted. The video clerk and his associate are verified vampires. Ah, what have I gotten myself into? Maybe you could wait it out. Those neck wreckers will have to go and feed eventually. As for the ghosts, just try to ignore them. It's been pretty quiet in here, actually. Maybe the ghosts don't- <laughs> Pulsing blue, red, and lights poured in under the crack of the closet door like an electrified puddle. Running to the window again, I peered out, squinting, and could see a police car parked behind the Grand National on the driveway. Through the glare, I could just barely make out the silhouette of a uniformed officer step out and speak to the vampires on the porch. I was about to start shouting and banging on the window to get his attention, but then reality sank in and I stopped myself. The cop was a dead man if he discovered me. My hope faded. I stood watching them talk in the strobing glow, wondering what was being said. Then I heard laughter. They were joking with each other just like old frat brothers. Enthrallment had to be. An idea came to me. They were distracted. I could slip out a back door without them knowing. Flashlight leading the way, I took the stairs back down and wandered to the rear of the house. In the kitchen, I found a door that surely exited onto the patio, but it was stuck even tighter than the front door. I considered kicking it open, but vampires have superior hearing. I try a window. In the living room again, I drew back the curtains on a large, unbroken window and squinted out at the neglected backyard. A gnarled crabapple tree towered over a gloomy lawn of tall grass. Just when I slid open the lock, a raven suddenly appeared on the other side of the window and perched on the ledge. I gasped and flung my hand back. It was one of the vampires. I was sure of it. Bats are the norm, but black carrion-feeding fowl will do, too. Their bird swiveled its head to and fro, giving each beady eye a predatory peek at me inside the house. Then it pecked on the windowpane and uttered a blood-curdling caw. I yanked the curtains closed and retreated from the window. There was no escaping for now. If I was going to wait this out, I needed a new hiding spot. Once again on the second story, I stood in the hallway with its rows of mystery doors and let any meeny miny mo be my guide. Just as I was about to pick the very best one, I felt something brush against the top of my head. Expecting a spider, I swatted at my hair and felt something round in my hand. Attempting to hurl it across the hallway, I was confused when the object, 
which I could now see was attached to some kind of string, came swinging back and struck me gently in the forehead. The white plastic end of a pull cord dangled before my eyes. Following it to its source, I saw a partially open trap door in the ceiling, a pitch black maw that the flashlight had little effect on. Without consciously realizing it, I tugged on the nylon cord and finished opening the attic door. A ladder extended, inviting me up. When I'd climbed the rungs, I poked my upper half through the hatch, scanning the area with my laser gun like a spotlight. The attic was finished, filled with sagging boxes, rolled up carpets, holiday decorations, and other assorted junk. I climbed the rest of the way inside and slowly navigated to the circular attic window. Cutting the light, I gazed through the cracked glass. The cop car was gone, but it was too far up to see anything else. Avenging Condor, do you read? Dickie, is that you? The band is warming up. I can't hear a blessed thing. Try again later. It was no use. Just then, I heard the trap door behind me bang shut. After nearly jumping to the rafters, I whirled around, squeezing the laser gun's trigger to activate it, but nobody was there. Okay, that was a good one, ghosts, but I'm no threat to you. I just need to stay in your beautiful home for a little while longer, and then I'll be out of your hair. When there was no further noises or activity, I felt bold enough to plop down onto an old beanbag chair. Styrofoam stuffing blew out from slits in the fabric, causing a brief shower of confetti. It was the first time I'd let myself relax since my hot pursuit, and now, without more pressing concerns, my stomach gently reminded me that it was dinner time. I helped myself to some marshmallow fluff from my backpack. Afterwards, I fell into a deep sleep. I dreamt I was in the hallways of Jupiter Springs Junior High. A girl about my age with bell bottoms and a wings hairstyle came up to me at my locker. Before I could ask her who she was and if she wanted to date a star mathlete, she asked her own question. Why? Her eyes were pleading. She repeated the word over and over, louder and louder. Why? Why, why, why? Then I noticed a thin red line start to materialize vertically down her face, starting from her forehead and ending at her chin. Now another line formed and ran horizontally from cheek to cheek. Diagonal lines followed in quick succession, all of them beginning to bleed. Cuts. And one by one, each section of her divided face started to slip off in perfect triangular slices, splatting onto the linoleum. Now wearing a red mask of raw muscle, the girl stepped closer, backing me up. She opened her lipless mouth and screamed, Wake up! And then raising both hands in the air, she clapped. A storm jolted me awake. I got up and visited the window again, but even with lightning flashing, I couldn't see much of anything, just watery shadows. Surely the vampires weren't still out there waiting for me in the rain, but I couldn't take any chances. I pressed the light on my calculator watch. I'd somehow slept for four whole hours. Come in, Avenging Condor. Oh, is this Dickie? Affirmative. This is Derek. Little bro says he's working on something important. It is not to be disturbed under any circumstances. Ah. All right. Thanks, Derek. Later, dude. Chip, do you read? Chip, pick up. Hey, Dickie. Chip, I need you to go to the old Warwick house on Scrugg Street and see if it's still being watched by vampires. It's raining and I'm off field duty according to Plunger. I, I mean, Avenging Condor. Uh, we don't have to call him that when he's not listening. 
and I'm reassigning you back to active field duty. All you have to do is make a visual confirmation. It's still raining now. Chip, it's an emergency. I'll let you check out my mom's newest JCPenney spring and summer catalog. There's a real nice set of bed sheets on page 14. I'll see about it. Copy. Over and out. White light flashed through the attic window, and I felt the whole house rattle. The lightning bolt must have struck eerily close. A box had toppled off a stack and spilled some of its contents across the dusty floorboards. Curious, I picked up a loose piece of paper and read it. A shutoff notice from the electric company. Discarding it, I then grabbed a small picture frame laying face down. After wiping off the dirty smudges, I gawked morbidly at the Warwick family photo. Each member, along with their pet German Shepherd, posing with one another outdoors, smiling wide in what had obviously been a happier time. Before Henry Warwick murdered and mutilated the others with a pizza cutter while they slept in their beds. I pondered out loud, why did he do it? The bearded insurance salesman in the picture offered no clues. My eyes wandered to the rest of the Warwicks. There was Rebecca, the wife, much younger than her husband, Thomas, the son, 15, and Katharina, the daughter, 12. I paused over her image. She looked a lot like the girl in my dream. I set the frame back down carefully and snatched up the next random item laying at my feet, an empty prescription bottle for sleeping pills. After that was an old Betamax recorder. I inspected it, but didn't see anything noticeably wrong on the outside. It wasn't until I flipped open the tape slot with my index finger and shined the light through that I noticed something stuck deep inside. It wasn't a cassette. Rummaging around in the overturned box, I found a shoehorn and used it to slide the object out. What I retrieved was a small, black, leather-bound book. I opened the cover. This diary belongs to Henry Winston Warwick. The police must have missed it when they searched the house. I flipped to the last few entries. August 5th, 1977. Started a second job today at La Pizza Nostra to help make ends meet. It's humiliating working at a pizzeria at my age and taking orders from a manager that has as many pimples as the pizzas have pepperonis. But I do anything for my family. They must never know of my sacrifice. August 11th, 1977. Rebecca complained that I always stink of anchovies. I told her that it must be her vagina, and now she's refusing to speak with me. Oh, how I hate lying. But hopefully soon things will turn around, and I won't be forced to sling dough on the side anymore. August 15th, 1977. Hold another double shift last night. Still can't sleep, though. Been spending a lot of time in the basement, sharpening my pizza cutter. Got to provide for my loved ones. August 19th, 1977. Feeling exhausted. Even when the pills work, I wake up with sore arms and no energy. August 21st, 1977. This morning, I found Katharina's beanbag chair cut to ribbons. I scolded her until I saw the styrofoam clinging to the wheel of my pizza cutter. I cleaned up the mess and threw the chair in the attic, deeply ashamed. What have I done? He wasn't insane. He was sleepwalking. He never meant to hurt his family at all. He thought he was cutting pizzas, just as he'd done night after night for hours on end at his secret job. He loved them. It could have just been the wind whistling through the crack in the window, 
but to me it sounded suspiciously like a sigh. Like a release. Did I just help the spirits of the Warwick family find closure and move on? If so, that would mean there was nothing stopping the vampires from entering the house anymore. Wait! Come back! Don't go towards the light! Not yet! But it was too late. Their souls were at peace. Loud thumps reverberated on the rooftop above me. Could have been crab apples falling on the shingles, I reasoned. But I knew in my heart it was the vampires. One or both of them had probably flown up there. Time to relocate again. I pushed the trapdoor open from the inside and scrambled down to the second floor. Racing through the hallway, I took the stairs two at a time. On the first floor, I heard a window break from somewhere near the entrance. Fleeing into the kitchen, I stalled, indecisive. There was another door there, opposite the back exit, which I surmised led to either the garage or the basement. I made up my mind. It finally occurred to me, after scurrying halfway down the steps, that not only was it a basement, it was faintly lit. I stepped the rest of the way down cautiously, not knowing what to expect. A single light bulb set into the low ceiling was on, illuminating more grimy odds and ends. Confused, I began to register a sound emanating from somewhere in the shadows of the dank basement, a steady rumbling that I'd failed to notice on account of being in a state of panic, despite it being quite noisy. I moved closer and pulled a string suspended from another light fixture. Now I understood why the house had power. A gas generator chugged along, a cord snaking through a hole in the wall to the exterior of the house. How long had this been running? Had the house had electricity the whole time I'd been inside it? And who had turned it on? Vicky, I have an update you're going to want to hear. Are you paying attention? I was only half listening. My eyes intently focused on the basement door I'd come through. Go ahead. After I got home, I decided to microscopically analyze the hair samples I collected from the grill of the Grand National. Comparing it to hair imagery of known animals, including humans, provided by Toloa Valley College's Forensic Science Reference Manual, I was able to narrow it down to the canine subfamily. Uh-huh. Now I know what you're thinking. The daywalkers probably hit a stray dog or something. But I had a hunch. I put this hair specimen into a petri dish and then added a couple tablespoons of colloidal silver into it. The reaction was instantaneous. Those hairs spasmed and curled up just like dying pinworms. Do you understand the implications of this, Dickie? Yep. I watched as the basement door slowly swung open. They're werewolf hairs, Dickie. Okay. Cam and Dirge strutted down the steps. So this is where you've been hiding. This is where I've been hiding too. All of a sudden, yet another bulb flashed on from a dark patch of the basement, incandescent amber light revealing a man holding the pull string. It was the same man I'd seen lingering around Valley Video earlier in the day. The vampire's eyes went wide, and they looked at each other surprised. You two ran me over and left me for dead. But guess what? Dead I am not. Pissed I most definitely am. Tracking you to Jupiter Springs was a breeze. I waited for the first full moon, what I'm strongest, and now comes that delicious dish that's famously best served cold. Your car can't save you this time. The man took a few goading steps forward, positioning himself behind me. The vampire slinked up to meet him, standing in front of me. I was in the middle of a vampire werewolf stare-down, the outcome of an ancient feud, and I found myself unable to move a muscle. I felt dizzy and nauseous, my breathing constricted, 
The room was spinning ever so slightly. My hazy vision settled on the generator for a split second, just long enough to realize that there was no ventilation for the exhaust. A moment later, the werewolf started his transformation. Coarse dark hair sprouted from his skin like grass in a time-lapse video, while his nose and mouth morphed into a pronounced muzzle, and his ears climbed up his skull, contorting into furry spear tips. His bones elongated, and his once baggy clothing stretched to the max. When the unwholesome process was complete, the lycanthrope stood over seven feet tall. The creature lumbered closer, drool overflowing from its sharp-toothed snout. It was going to tear through anything in its path. Then the vampires advanced, scowling and hissing. They were out for blood. Just as I shut my eyes and wondered which monster would sink their fangs into me first, I felt a hand grasp my shoulder. Get out of the way, kid. Cam shoved me across the room, and I nosedived onto the cement. That's when the battle began. Although what I could see of it consisted of a whirling blur, I could hear every gory detail. Picking myself up, the basement spun faster. My heart thudded in my chest. I needed to get out of there before I succumbed to carbon monoxide poisoning, but the entrance looked like it was a mile away. The back door would be quicker. Staggering over, I leaned back while gripping the knob, but that door was stuck too. Panicked, I pounded on the wood until I collapsed onto my knees, heaving. The lights grew dimmer, but something still stood out. There was cardboard covering the bottom of the door. With a burst of grit, I clawed at the paper, peeling it off. Now I could see the doggy door flapping in the wind. Somehow, I was clear-headed enough to throw my backpack through first so I'd be able to fit. It was still going to be pretty tight. Sticking my arms into the opening, I wriggled forward wildly. <sighs> and plunged my head out. <gasps> Just then, someone grabbed my hands. Chip! The 13-year-old steadied himself and tugged me the rest of the way out of the doggy door, onto the wet earth. The air was fresh, and I was finally free. I'd squeezed my way out of the Warwick house, just like I'd squeezed my way in. Chip reached into the pocket of his leather jacket. I found your glasses on the front porch, dude. I labored to my feet and took them, sliding them in place. Chip, you're a sight for sore eyes. Uh, come on, let's get out of here. I gotta get my grandma's car back before she finds out I took it. I grabbed my backpack, and we dashed through the rain to the front of the house where a split pea soup colored 1973 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme was parked behind the Buick in the driveway. As we drove away, I reclined in my seat and smiled to myself. I didn't even care that Chip was swerving all over the road. Whoa! A week later, I finally got around to returning Big Trouble in Little China, which I may or may not have spread garlic butter on first. On the way to Valley Video, I whizzed past the Warwick house and spotted a construction crew outside. They were finally going to demolish the old place after a property inspector found the body of an unidentified transient in the basement. He'd been impaled by glass from an antique mirror. Dickie, what's your 20? I've reached the parking lot. Copy that. You know I'd join you if I didn't have this pesky doctor's appointment for my glands. 
Are you guys sure this is a good idea? I mean, Dickie barely survived the last outing. Psh, I was in control the whole time. Chip, communications on this channel are reserved for tactical coordinating only. The Grand National sat out front of the store. Its front bumper repaired at last, along with a right side view mirror. Attention Avenging Condor. I'm crossing the parking lot, headed towards the store. Commencing Operation Staking. Aborting.